I'm Jennifer Morrison, and you're listening to The Bookshelf, where I talk with the authors I love about the books I love. Okay, so today we are talking with the anonymous poet Atticus about his most recent book of poems, Love, spelled L-V-O-E. And Love is a collection of poems and illustrations that take the reader inward in a search of love and peace and acceptance. Atticus got his sort of notoriety and fame on Instagram because his poems come in these sort of bite-sized, you know, scrollable little moments of thoughts. They're, they're like little thought poems. And it's how I discovered him. And I really enjoyed being able to take in these thoughts that were so relatable and felt like, oh, this person like dove inside my head and put into words a feeling that I have that I couldn't quite articulate. And I think a lot of people relate to his work because of that. So I was really excited to sit down and talk with him and kind of hear what his process is and how he recognizes when something is something that's very relatable and something that feels right for his sort of brand of poetry. But we had a great conversation and I was really fascinated fascinating to be able to kind of hear his story and his journey of how he came around to finding his voice as a poet. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I guess I should say welcome to my bookshelf, but you've been on my bookshelf for a while, so it's not really welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sweet of you. Um, how long have I been on your bookshelf? Uh, I feel like for at least a couple of years now. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I think like everyone, I sort of stumbled upon upon your poems on Instagram and felt like it was just super relatable and, and just just like just wrote this in my review too of it just made me feel like we all had so much more in common than we maybe want to admit you know it's like when you can see that you can boil things down to a single sentence or a couple sentences that feel so relatable oh i love that you say that it always feels you know i sometimes feel alone when i'm writing this stuff and so when people are like hey i you know that i related to that one or i feel the same way it's, it's such a sign that it, these things aren't like a a me or you thing they're kind of like a human thing and i think that's um something we should cel- celebrate you know, 100%. The human condition. <laughs> yeah it's really true it's really true and it, i know you've talked a lot about in other interviews about you know that you were really inspired initially in paris and you started writing there but what does that look mm-hmm. like like i know you're saying you were sort of like writing on your phone but it's like is there like a fragment of an idea and then that fragment matches with another fragment or it's a sentence that comes or is there a lot of revision that happens or does it just feel like, I feel like everybody has such a different yeah. process. <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. And, and um, to answer your question, it's kind of all of the things that you just said there. I mean, everything you said, I was like, yeah, do that. I do that. You know, it, it's, it's so often I pull a lot of my inspiration I, as I think like a lot of um, writers do is, you know, just from the world and kind of unfolding around and the things you see and observe and, and as well as your imagination. So, you know, any time of the day or, you know, whatever I'm doing, something can kind of trigger a thought or just like a, like a beautiful, I think, combination of words. And I'll just often write it down in, in my phone on my, or on a pad and paper, you know, it can just be a seed of a thought and, and, and later I'll just kind of try to develop it out or, or just kind of mess with the words. And, you know, like you said, combine it with other poems and thoughts and see if something comes of it. And so often it doesn't, and sometimes it does. And, you know, I'm, I'm constantly, I mean, I think a lot, again, a lot of writers go through this, but it's like the poems never feel finished. And thank God I put out books and I have a publisher being like, no, you have to deliver it today. 
to make me stop like iterating on them and, and just be like, right. okay, that one's done, you know, for now. And it doesn't mean I can't change it for a different book, but it is done, you know, which yeah. always feels good. Did you have like a small graveyard of unused <laughs> fragments? <laughs> I have I have a massive graveyard of unused <laughs> fragments. And it's funny we're chatting because I'm about to deliver my next book uh, to the wow. publisher. Yeah. And, and so like I was working on it this morning and I've been working on it for the last, you know, year. But I'm, I'm just going through that all now. I'm like looking through all my old fragments from, you know, the last four books and, and seeing if there's anything I can resurrect or, or you know, re reuse or rethink. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge part of my process is just getting those little seeds, those little sparks of ideas and, and trying to, to recreate them. Yeah. And what is that? What, so what's the last year been like in terms of putting a new book together? Like, like I'm in a writer's workshop right now where everybody has such a different process of like some people get driven crazy by having to try to write every day. And some people do it, you know, two hours before they have to turn it in and they can only deliver a <laughs> deadline. You know, it's like, are there ebbs and flows of like days that feel great and days that feel terrible or are there just concentrated stretches or what does that year look like for you? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And um, I'm certainly not someone who can just be like, here's 200 poems on the last day, like just kind of, you know, <laughs> deliver it. Um, yeah. I wasn't one of those people in school either that was just like, oh, shoot, I got like a, an essay, I'll just, I'll just wing it. You know, I think it would have been would have been terrible. I'm someone who kind of like stews and iterates over a longer period of time. And, you know, as I've kind of like, I mean, this is my fifth book that I'm working on. And, and I, I certainly have gotten better and more efficient at it. And so I'll just start with with a long kind of word document and throw in all the pieces together and, and all the like semi finished poems. And then I'll just go through each one and see if I can make it different, better. And, you know, I'll be like copy paste and then I'll see if I can make it different and, and in any way improve it. And I'll just keep going through. It's kind of like, uh, like in, uh, a very ADHD way to do it because I'll be like, work on one and then I'll go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one. And if I ever get stumped by it, I'll just move on to the next one. And that for me is a way to avoid, you know, not get too stuck in the kind of writer's block and to to keep going. Cause I'm just like, you know, I have so many little poems that it, it's fun to just kind of like keep going through them. That's just how I That's I amazing. I mean, it's amazing that you can sort of, you know, like you said, avoid the writer's block by kind of moving fluidly through what exists. Um, yeah. That's such a tricky thing, you know, with, with longer form stuff, right? Where it's like, you know, I'm I'm in the middle of writing a screenplay and it's like wow. staring at 105 pages. You're like, oh gosh, you know, it <laughs> feels like this massive thing to solve and fix at all times, you know, whereas like, again, in this writer's workshop that I've been taking, we only bring seven pages in at a time. And I was like, oh, this is such a great wow, yeah. lesson of like taking things into smaller bites and really just giving those seven pages like a light shined on them for a second you know but then yeah. also like you're saying being able to be like well these seven pages I just can't like I can't solve this right now so it's it's really interesting that that's like a natural part of what's evolved for you because it sounds like such a healthy way to have a relationship with your writing it's like so many people I know are like you know depressed and in a dark room somewhere <laughs> <laughs> like trying to figure out yeah. how, to, how to figure out what's going on on the page, you know? Uh, yeah, and that that doesn't. I mean, that does happen for me as well. You know, <laughs> I mean, like... we all end up there at some point, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm interested to know to know more about your process, and I, I found as I've gotten kind of like you know delivered more and more 
books, I, I found that I don't try to force it in, in, in my sessions. You know, if, if it's like, if I'm ever just like start, sit down and write and it's just really not working and it just feels like way too much friction. I think I've, you know, just these days I'm able to say, you know, this isn't a session. Let me go take a break. Let me go have a coffee. Let me go like walk the dog yeah. and come back and see if, if I can kind of get back into that flow. And, and also one thing that's helped is kind of increase the amount of times that you try because mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, even if it's five minutes a day, you never really know when that flow is going to hit, at least for me personally. Yeah. And sometimes it surprises you. Sometimes you're like, ah, I don't feel very inspired right now, but I'm going to put in five minutes and then it turns into, you know, a few hours. And so just like increasing the quantity of times trying and writing down and just being in front of the, That's just so showing up as they say. Yeah. It's really, know? really smart. Cause you know, it's like, you can get in your head about like, and I mean like the universal, you can get in your head about, yeah. like, you know, I have to set aside all this time and I have to be prepared and I have to be in the right headspace. And, you know, by the time, yeah. you know, that just feels like too much pressure. You know, it's like yeah. Amy Berryman, who is a an author that we um, featured in January for our book club um, is who's running yeah. the writing workshop that I'm taking. And um, oh, cool! she always says you have to like trick yourself into writing, you know, like she's like, <laughs> You just just tell yourself you're going to recopy notes, you know, that you've like handwritten something and you're just going to type it up, you know, <laughs> but it's smart. Oh it's like my you're God. About the five minutes here, five minutes there. It's I like, love it. oh yeah, I can take 10 minutes to type these notes up, you know? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh wait, yeah, and I can move this here and move that there. I love it. That's amazing. I love the, the concept of tricking yourself into writing. Right? I mean, that works. It works. It's like, and it's, I mean, yeah, isn't it such a so weird smart. thing? How many people want to write and feel like they are? I mean, I think everyone has a writer in them somewhere, but it's just about, yeah. you know, sitting down and, you know, putting your hand to the page. But, you know, it's like so many people mm -hmm. desire that and yet just don't, can't get themselves to sit down and do it. You know, it's just like the amount yeah. of, especially, you know, I guess out here in the industry, it's like everybody has an idea for a script or everybody has an idea for a yeah. movie or a book or whatever you know and it's like yeah well write it you know like even if it's yeah. bad, you just you have to get it down you can't just talk yeah. about it it has to become a thing you know yeah yeah it's so it's so true and unfortunately like you know I think that really haunts a lot of people you know it's yeah. like the thought of that unwritten screenplay or unwritten and like goes to art as well it's not just writing yeah. it's um I think so many people delay it their whole lives and it it haunts them you know it's like what you know all the arts just kind of like stuck inside them all the words are stuck inside them and I think it's a shame I totally agree with you it's just like get it out just write it, it doesn't matter if it sucks uh, have you heard the, yeah. the like uh, and the, also like can it saying. really suck I mean everything's so subjective yeah you know what I mean so it's like yeah it's, yeah it's only you deciding it's bad because there's going to be someone out there that you know what you're writing is going to resonate with 100 percent. yeah absolutely I, I was yeah. going to say like have you heard that saying that's like you know write for the waste paper basket you know write for the garbage just like find your enjoyment within writing and and mm -hmm. put less pressure on yourself and just like you know be prepared to throw pages away or throw you know screenplays away and just write yeah um, and I think it taking the pressure off yourself has helped me a lot too it's just like just kind of have fun with it I love that write for the waste basket <laughs> that's great mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> it really does immediately you're like oh right it's fine. I could just throw it out. Who cares? It's great. Yeah. 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 It's like, <laughs> who cares?
Do you, yeah. do you have someone in, you know, in your process who's kind of like an early person that puts eyes on things like, you know, I, I can only imagine that with the sheer quantity. And I mean, that's another question that I'll get to later, but like the sheer quantity of what you put out, you're so prolific. Do you have someone who's kind of your first person you turn to and you don't have to say who it is, but like more about the relationship with that person of like, that you trust them to go like, no, this is, this one's a poem. Like this is, this is a thing, yeah. you know? A hundred percent I do. And I think I've gotten better at this and less sacred about it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I'm literally going through this all right now. So it's it's really funny that we're chatting. Like I was doing it this morning, like I said, but um, I, I don't think a lot of people know this and I, I never planned for it to, to be this way, but every single person that works for me is, is a woman. And oh, wow. from my <laughs> from my publishers to my editors to my lawyers to everybody within the kind of Atticus uh, ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question, I, I have these, you know, part of my process is to like write as far as I can, I think I can bring it myself and then deliver something like, you know, 250. If, if the manuscript that I need to deliver is 200 poems or 150 poems, I'll deliver like 275 or 250. Oh, wow. And then I make a, yeah. And then I make a sh- shared Google Doc. And I invite everyone on my team from Emily who posts um, everything that I do to Ashley does operations to Lucy who does kind of the production to Marissa who does the design kind of invite them all. And I think there's probably including my editor and my publisher, that team. And so there's probably six of us on there and then I'll have them all go through and they can make comments and that their comments are something along the lines of like, you know, I like this or needs rework or not my favorite different mm. book doesn't fit the theme just like kind of quick things and yeah. um they're like don't like this line and you know I I'll go through and I'll be like yeah I think they're right here or you know one some people will like it some won't and I'll rework it and and I'll be like I like it and through that process I'm able to cut down you know what I think are kind of the worst hundred poems and leaves 150 or 160 that we all seem to like. And the great thing is, you know, they spend so much time with my work, whether it's like putting it on to merchandise or putting it on wine bottles or just posting it and sharing it and going through it and that they, they know it really intimately and, um, and they know what works and what doesn't resonate and the other important part about all that is at the end of the day, if I, I try to be really true to myself and it's like, even if a lot of people are like, this isn't my favorite, if I'm like, ah, it's important to what I'm trying to say here, it's important to the whole book. And I really want this to get this down and be in the world, then I'll just keep it. And, yeah. you know, I do have those poems that, um, that get through that. I, I, I want to keep it the director's cut, you know, to some degree. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm piecing this together right from previous interviews, you were very inspired in Paris. You started writing on your phone and initially things were being posted on Instagram. And that's what ultimately led to getting a publisher and an editor and all that. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, so I, did they just yeah. reach out for like <laughs> yeah, Instagram? I mean, how does that how does that happen? You know what I mean? Like yeah. a whole lot of people who put stuff on Instagram that don't end up published, you know? So yeah. and I, obviously that's a quality, you know, <laughs> quality driven thing, which which you clearly have. But um, I'm just curious, like how that evolved. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's a great question. And, and it's one that I actually 
I get all the time because I think a lot of people go through this where they're just like, you know, I'm interested in doing a book. I have no idea where to start. And for me, it happened quite, like you said, serendipitously. So I, I was just posting, I would do them on a typewriter because I really enjoyed kind of the process. I'm pretty like nostalgic person, obviously, but like, I love just like writing it on a typewriter, taking a photo of it and posting it online. And, and that's kind of how I started posting it on, you know, Instagram, like you said. And um, yeah, you know, as the account grew, which I never expected, you know, I, I can't remember what I was at. I was probably at like a hundred thousand uh, followers or something. And so it wasn't like so enormous at that time. And uh, an agent, a book agent just reached out to me and, uh, and on Instagram and said, Hey, you know, love your work. Have you ever thought about publishing a book? Mm. And so her and I got to chatting and and she's like, well, let's put together a book proposal. And so, you know, spent a long time on that first book proposal, which included kind of everything. I mean, a lot of a lot of people don't know what goes into a book proposal. And I was very much like, I want to sell the whole picture. Like, I, I don't want to just sell, you know, my 150 poems or whatever. I want to I want to show them what we'll do with marketing. I want to show them who we think like we'll post about this, who we like. I wanted to tell like a whole big story around it. And that was the book proposal that that ended up getting, you know, we ended up selling it. And um, how did you know how to do a book proposal? I mean, did you just like, do you Google like how to do a book proposal? <laughs> like, these I are mean, things that I feel like no one teaches anybody. You know? <laughs> I, I know. You know, it, I think it was just, I think I was like not looking too much at other other people's book proposals. And my agent like did help me with like, this is what a traditional sure. book proposal looks like. But I came from a world of pitching television shows you know I, I that's like my world and so much of like getting a show uh sold was about building that full picture it's like who are the celebrities that are going to be in this who's the director who's the like you kind of put together a whole package and I was also very much like what would I want to see as a book publisher what would I want to see that would make this job really easy and and both television and books their job is is ultimately to say no to most things, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, and the only way they can really mess up their job is by saying no to the wrong thing. So it's way easier to say no. You know, it's like if they say no to Colleen Hoover or uh, whatever her name is, you know, that's a problem. You know, you might right. get in trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs> they would definitely uh, be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> So I, I think you just got to make them make it really hard for them to say no, because yeah. and make yourself different. And so I really went after that first one and every sub subsequent one after that um, with that same mentality of like, how can I sell this whole picture? Like, how could we like build merch around it? How can we like get guarantees from websites or like partnership collaborations, like make sure you have the most amount of eyes. And I know people have done similar things. People who have like speaking careers, they're like, you know, I guarantee we'll sell a couple hundred copies at each of these. I've got this speaking tour and I'll sell this many copies during this tour. And mm. that's something that really the publisher's like, yeah, perfect. We've got a built-in kind of sales well, that's channel. That's interesting. Yeah. It was like yeah. protecting the future by showing the reach of where yeah. to go. I mean, it's All so smart. I mean, you it's so yeah. interesting because you have such like the business brain and the artist brain, which is, I think, a very rare 
combination. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think there's a lot of people out there who are very talented, but don't know how to, you know, put their work out there or think of a business plan or think ahead <laughs> way, you know, it's like, it's really incredible that you have both, both sides there. I do want to go back to the typewriter though, because we do have a love of typewriters in common. Um, <laughs> I have a very famous typewriter now in my first feature that I directed from Sundogs. And it was such a crazy story because I can't explain why I've always loved typewriters. I just have. I don't know if it's just that there were like, it was never an actual like old school typewriter in our house. But I know growing up, we had like an electric typewriter that I saw my parents, oh my God, work on, you know? Yeah. And so I don't know if that got in there somewhere too, but um, I just remember it was like way back in the day when I was on house and I was driving past a like vintage shop at lunchtime. I was like on my way to go grab lunch in the middle of the day. And I saw it like from, from the street and I pulled over and I went in and, and this is so not me, like oh went God. in and just like bought this typewriter, which ended up being the typewriter that was like this central character in this movie that I made 10 years later I wasn't even oh a filmmaker God. yet when I bought this typewriter so anyway Amazing. and that's always been one of the things is like when I have like birthday cards or like letters from my husband or whatever like I, I love to like go and type it on the typewriter for the person oh cool I think it means more to me than it means to them. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. But I'm curious if you had like a Genesis story for your like love of typewriters or if it was just like a natural draw. <laughs> well, I mean, you're completely uh, preaching to the choir there. So I, I get you and I see you. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, I think mine was kind of similar. I mean, I've been, you know, just growing up, I've always been, you know, very Renaissance in like what I was drawn to. Like I love mm. the kind of 20s through the 50s were kind of uh, I was obsessed with and it's funny you say that because it made me think of my grandparents house who had an old electric typewriter oh, interesting. and I think that might have been like one of the, my first exposures and first like you know love stories with a typewriter and you know it, it wasn't until years later that my friend actually gifted me a corona mm -hmm. uh, typewriter and it's a really old vintage one and we kind of like got it rebuilt and you know, I just love exactly the same as you. I just like write notes to people or like, yeah. it's so much. I, and it's, it's like, like so fun. arduous. I'm like, why do yeah. I love this? Like you make a mistake and you have to start oh, the all over, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. But it's like it's some so... form of punishment, but yeah. great joy <laughs> at that punishment somehow. Yeah. It's uh, what do they say, Sisyphean? Um, yeah, but so worth it. And and like you sound very nostalgic. It's worth the struggle. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, it was just I was like, oh, I, I understand this person. And I was hearing yeah. you talk about your typewriter, so I was like, I get him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I yeah. mean, and and also, I mean, that also leads me to another question, which I was thinking about was like, you know, I, I've again listened to a lot of interviews that you've done, and you've talked about admiring like Bukowski and Hemingway and Hunter S. Thomas and Dickinson and Platt, all of whom are mm -hmm. like, I mean, my God, the greats that we all turn to for inspiration, but also are like really heavy in their subject matter and I feel like you you have such just vibrance and hopefulness you, even though you take on heavy things in, in certain poems and certain things that you write it's not it's not that you're not taking on like loneliness or isolation or you know, mm -hmm. struggling with a sense of self but you you take it on in a way that feels so much less nihilistic than some of the references you know the some of the greats that you've sort of referenced as like people you've turned to for inspiration mm -hmm. did, did you feel like that was like a conscious 
decision or does it just feel like something that naturally evolved because of the way you see the world? Wow, that's a wonderful question and really well well asked. I think if you if you kind of track my poetry from the first to the last, I think it's gotten, as you said, kind of more hopeful as I think I I think I started writing in, in like a darker, you know, sadder place. And I think that was like reflected in the work, but it was also like healing. And so there was, I think, like a, a hopeful, you know, at least I tried like a kind of a hopeful presence to it, essence okay. to it. And um, I think as as I've gotten happier and, you know, more balanced in my life, I think and hope that, that that's reflected as we went, went along. But I think it comes back to how I started writing and why I started writing in the first place. And that was meeting Michael Madsen, the actor in France and and spending a lot of time with him and and seeing such like a tortured soul and mm. and him you know saying to me he'd written a book of poetry and he oh, said it saved that. yeah yeah he did and he said it's it had saved his life and huh. this was really interesting you know that really captured my imagination and you know here was a American badass who was talking about writing poetry and I was like wow you know that it kind of gave me you know. I've said it before, but it like kind of gave me permission to explore the more vulnerable side of myself and use poetry as this like therapy, you know? Yeah. Um, and you feel but, like there's a direct connection of like your joy and happiness to being able to express yourself more through your writing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been such a therapeutic part of me. It's been like it, a piece for me. It's been such a, you know, a long journey to vulnerability in so many ways. And I think who I was when I started writing was this guy who'd been trained from, you, you know, I grew up in, in Canada, but like, you know, years of, of like hockey and like boxing and motorcycles and, and don't ever show vulnerability, it's weakness. And the wonderful journey that Atticus has been is just like rewriting that narrative mm. to be more of a vulnerability and yeah. You know, that's and, really interesting. I mean, how amazing that connection was such a fruitful thing for your personal life. I mean, obviously, it's an incredible business as well. And it's just flourished so much. But just I mean, what's better than feeling like that therapeutic element of it is bringing so much sustenance to your own life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been such a blessing for me to find Atticus such a blessing. Yeah. Have you ever thought about like, I guess, I mean, not to say that your poems are solely for women um but uh i mean they're for anyone who wants to to love and live and all of those things but it does feel like they resonate deeply with women <laughs> with if, if you look at the following have you ever thought about sort of gearing something more toward just the men who feel how you have felt you know what i mean where like they just felt unseen for so long and that sort of mm -hmm. pressure cooker of an idea of masculinity versus sort of like the balance of what masculinity can be, you know, because like ultimately, you know, obviously we live in a culture right now that's obsessed with talking about toxic masculinity, but there is a version of masculinity that has balance where you, I think it sounds like what you're finding in your life of like finding that balance of vulnerability and strength and being able to, you know, go out and have a beer with your buddies, but also like want to go home and be really vulnerable and find a soft corner of yourself where you find a great poem, you know, and it's like, yeah, that, that balance is really manifesting in your life. Like there's gotta be 
so many men who are like silently feeling that way out there, craving the feeling of connection and feeling like, you know, what you felt with Michael Madsen in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of permission to open up to that sort of world. Yeah. I mean, there are, and and I have written like quite a few poems in that direction, just kind of like about my own journey in that sense. And I think what's a shame is that I end up like publishing less of those and posting less of those because I think traditionally there's been such a female resonance with the other kind of direction. And so I don't mean to, and I like, I really try to test myself to write authentically and post what's true. But I think just like, you know, it's just a product of the audience that I think I've gone in a different direction often than in the books that get published. But um, it's a really good point. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with, I feel like there's such a shift and rewriting the narrative of like what it is to be a man. And it's like, it's so, you know, completely writing over this idea of the toxic man. And it's more like, you know, there's a book called The Superior Man, Mm. which is interesting and it's imperfect, but it's got some really interesting thoughts of like, the superior man is, you know, the superior masculinity is someone who is very in tune with the masculine and with the feminine. And you can be a like a protector and be very vulnerable and be really in tune with your kind of female or like feminine side as well. And I think what I loved about what you just said is there's like retuning that balance of what is that? And it's kind of different for everybody. And I say man, but it's yeah. like the masculine feminine and it's like the masculine feminine in us all. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And everyone, I mean, it's, it's such a crazy thing out there. It's like, you know, I mean, I've said this before, but it's people always say, Oh, you placed, you've played such strong women. I was like, well, I've played whole women. Like that's my goal Mm. is like to take whatever's on the page. And, you know, sometimes the wholeness is there and sometimes it's not and be like, you know, listen, I consider myself a quote unquote strong woman, but like I have bad days. I mean, I have days that all Mm -hmm. I want to do is cry. And I have days where I feel on top of the world and I can multitask like crazy and handle whatever comes at me, you know, and everything in between, you know, and it's like, yeah. it's so unrealistic. And I think, it, well, at least from the artistry that I've been approaching as an actor, like it's almost irresponsible to not try to bring a whole person because otherwise you're setting up uh, people yeah. to feel like they're always failing if they can't always be that strong or they can't always, and no one's always any one thing. It's like no. we're all a whole amalgamation of of everything, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. I don't mean to make it only about men, but I do feel like we are in this moment where, you know, there is this interesting, like you said, rewriting of like how we think of masculinity and yeah. what that balance or what the healthy balance of that could look like. Yeah. Yeah. And finding that, like, what's your personal balance? And, you know, I love that. Like, I really like what you said there is like, I show up, I try to show up to all of these characters that you are in as a whole person. So with those sides, I really love the thought of that. Yeah, people make mistakes, you know, it's like yeah. it's interesting because like, you know, as a filmmaker and a director now, I can't tell you how often an actor comes to me like, yeah, but they're not going to be likable. And I'm like, none of us are always likable, like, yeah. you know, like, and it's not interesting to watch if everybody's yeah. likable all the time. Like the whole thing that makes life interesting is that we don't ever know what's going to happen next. And we yeah. We can't guess it. So we're always like, we're sort of stumbling around in the dark, no matter how much any of us have kind of figured out. And sometimes you're going to get it right. And sometimes you're going to get it wrong. And sometimes it's going to be attractive. And sometimes it's going to be unattractive, you know, and like, that's 
that's human and it's interesting to watch, you know? So it's like, absolutely. And I, but again, like, I feel like that's a lot of what people respond to in your poetry is that I think you allow space for that feeling of imperfect, you know, I mean, even your, the way that you titled the book, you know, putting the LVOE to be able to say like, it's not always this precise, perfect thing. It's a yeah. little messy, you know, it's like, I think that that just resonates as being super human and relatable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think it's to your point, it, you know, it'd be irresponsible for me to write about love as this kind of like consistently perfect, never a challenge, you know, thing that yeah. existed. And I think people would hold their own love stories to like too high a standard almost. And, it, you know, you kind of, to your point, it's like, why, why I named the book LVOE is like, I wanted to show that imperfect side of love. I wanted to show the like, it's perfect with all the imperfections and the perfections, you know, that's what makes it what it is. And yeah. um, it's, it's perfect to us. Like once you look at the whole picture, but it's like, it's not without its imperfections. It's not without its scars. It's not without its tough times and chaos, but we kind of like have to see past that, you know, misread some title. Of that, or, some of that yeah. stuff is what makes it beautiful on the other side. You know, it's like, definitely i i feel yeah. really lucky because my parents have been together for 48 years oh my god <laughs> so, wow you know, it's such a rare thing these days to wow. parents are still together but you know and like you're saying it's not like there aren't days that they're they get frustrated or whatever but it's like they've always they, i've never seen them not on the same team you know what i mean yeah. like always they would never intentionally hurt each other yeah. And they would never try to undermine each other. And it doesn't mean wow. that they're not, you know, like there are those misses in communication at times, but for me to be able to witness that for my whole life of like two people who, you know, whatever has to be worked through, they just end up closer on the other side. And I feel like we're yeah. kind of losing that culturally of like to sometimes obviously you don't want to encourage someone to stay in something toxic or unhealthy or bad or abusive. Like obviously that's its own thing. But when you're talking about like a relationship that's built on healthier tenements, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes staying through the muck is what's going to get you to the beauty on the other side. And without the muck, you would yeah. never have had that level of intimacy on the other side, you know? And it's yeah. like, I, I feel lucky enough that I'm experiencing that in my own life. Um, yeah. but I wish I could hand that to people sometimes, you know, it's like, I wish I could just go like, no, just stick with it. Like <laughs> keep your feet firmly planted here. I know this doesn't feel great right now, but it's yeah. growing pains. You know, it's like, there's this beautiful thing on the other side where you're going to look back and be like, I wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't trade that hard thing because I wouldn't, oh, yeah. you know, the intimacy of what I feel right now or the closeness with this person that I feel right now, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's yes. So, so powerful. Such a powerful thought. What a remarkable thing your parents have been together 47 right? years and yeah. It's just well, amazing. It's, so, it's, so, cool. it's so rare, you know, but I guess also, you know, they were lucky that they turned out to be the right people for each other because there are times that it's just, you know, people are maybe right for a certain stretch of time and not for another. Or it's, yeah. There's a million variations of, you know, yeah. as you well know with your <laughs> million variations yeah. of how and why and when we link up with somebody. Yeah. But what a good example to set for you. And I think you probably, and I have no idea, but like, I would assume that you kind of hold your relationships to a certain standard. And if it, if it ever like had signs of, you know, lack of respect or like 
toxicity toxicity yeah yeah you'd be like very aware of that and you kind of hold it to a higher standard i've always said you know it's very evident when someone has had unconditional love from one of their parents or both their parents or like basically a, a parental figure in their life and it, it shows up in how they approach relationships and the standard that they hold themselves to it's like they don't let themselves be treated a certain way because they're like no this is i deserve unconditional love and and that's a really really powerful um gift to give uh, yeah. children no, so we, like a, we feel yeah. very lucky in our a sister and her brother as well and the three of us are always in awe of you know you just it gives you an instinct that you can't yeah you know what I mean it's just like there were certainly relationships in my past that it were never going to last or weren't right or weren't as yeah as others but it was like there was like a little warning bell inside yeah. like, but I wouldn't what? have had that I wouldn't have had that if I you know what didn't grow up around the opposite you know what I mean yeah. like, until you know it until you've seen it you can't necessarily know it you know yeah. it is such a gift to have that yeah, um, it's not a myth. It's uh, it does exist. So yeah, I know, yeah. I know. And my parents, they really are happy. Like it's not like we should <laughs> be together. You know, it's not like we're sticking together for the kids. You know. This was a random transition from that. But I, when I said your millions of love poems, it made me remember that I I did want to ask about just the level of output that you have. It, it must. I don't mean to project. So tell me if I'm wrong. But I I can only imagine that for you to be able to put out so much content you sort of have a systematic you know mindset and a like a you're probably very hard on yourself in certain ways and I know the temptations of social media and Instagram of feeling like you've got to keep up and you've got to keep up you know like do you yeah. have to deal with those pressures of feeling like you have to constantly deliver content and if yes how do you manage that? Because it does seem like you do such a good job of still keeping it authentic to what you want to put out and at the level of quality that you want to put it out. Oh, well, well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, I'm not dissimilar to, to everyone, you know, it's like social media is, is the kind of like ever hungry kind of monster that um, <laughs> you have to keep feeding. It feels like, and you kind of feel like a slave to it, but I think I, I have like um, kind of a lucky position in that one is that anonymity and that kind of buffer, yeah. I think, helps me keep a, a boundary between like what I post and what I, you know, what I want to post and what I think I should post. Mm. Um, and I think it helps me just post what I want. And, um, and it's an imperfect science always, but it certainly helps me do that. And also just like having systems for it as well. And, you know, I hate the like scheduling. It was always such friction for me to like be writing and then to just like, you know, schedule posts or like posts and whatnot. And so finding help there early on and just like mm -hmm. someone who really enjoys that part of it. And, you know, at first it was an intern, just somebody who just like enjoyed it. You know, they're like, I, I'd love to help you do this. And since then, but become, you know, employees, but, you know, just figuring out what is your zone of genius and what are the real friction points and solving for that, I think um, has helped me a lot personally, just be consistent throughout all these years. Yeah. And if I didn't solve for that, I'll, I will say like, I don't even know if I'd still be doing it because it'd be such a chore for me. I'd be writing. I just don't know if I'd be posting. Right. Um, yeah. Um, I just imagine you have someone just in a typewriter in the corner in your house. <laughs> Yeah. constantly typing poems yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah it's like my little sister is just <laughs> typing poems for me nonstop. um yeah so i mean not far from the truth 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's such an interesting thing. It's such an interesting world we live in with the social media of it all now. It's like, yeah, I feel lucky, like I, because I was exposed to all of it so early because of shows that I was on or projects. Oh, yeah. Canada, I really learned how to compartmentalize and just kind of use it for good. And the amount of like inspiration I find, you know, it's like I follow so many artists and museums and like the imagery that I've been able yeah. to, to be able to use for like lookbooks when I'm pitching for a directing job or whatever, you know, yeah. it's like, and so I've really kind of forced myself to use it for good, you know, and to be able to see like, oh, my friends and their kids and, you know, what, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff. I just, you know, I don't read comments and I can really compartmentalize yeah. that. And I don't, I always felt like, you know, if you believe the good stuff, you have to believe the bad stuff. So I just don't believe any of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. so I've been lucky to kind of have a little bit of training in that, but, but I do still feel that pressure sometimes of like, you know, I get really busy on a set and it's like, I'll go months and not post anything. It's like, Oh God, I, yeah. I have, and then I'm like, who cares? You know what I mean? You know, it's like, so it's just yeah. such a weird, tricky psychology of like, they've created this almost like, um, what do you call it? What, why can't I think of it? Like the machines in Vegas, like the slot machines. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. It just feels like you're like, Oh, just one more quarter, just one more quarter. This weird part of our brains, you know, and it's yeah. like such a tricky thing to manage. Cause like how beautiful that you've been able to share your work with the world via that platform and use it for good, you know? And at the same time, probably you have to like manage, like fighting off that, like, you know, like cheetah chasing you of like, but isn't there another one? But isn't there another yeah. one? Oh, you know? never ends. It never ends. Yeah. I, I think you, you nailed it when you, you know, I think just like being able to use it for good and not for evil and just like having a real awareness around it and being like, Hey, you know, these things are designed to be like slot machines. Like the science behind it is like immense. It's like every notification, everything is a game, just like a slot machine, you know, yeah. and that's the science behind it. But like really being careful who you follow and who like what content you look at, I think it can be so inspiring, you know, it can like don't, you know, the right quotes or the right kind of like how to video or <laughs> like you said, it's like the image where you're like, oh my God, that would be beautiful for like, in your case, like a scene. Yeah. So like using it, like the sharing of ideas is incredible in the in the social media yeah. tools and also just like keeping taps on your friend i think where it gets dangerous at least for me personally is like when i start comparing myself too much or like when i'm like oh, i'm not good enough you know look look at how successful my fr friend is or like this person yeah. is and uh yeah look how many books colleen Hoover sells yeah. <laughs> I need um, to start reading her novels. I feel like I'm not, I, I'm, I've been trying desperately to figure out TikTok. I, this really shows my age. I really struggle. I've, I like have looked at it a handful of times and been like, I don't understand. And what are the two so Like, but, uh, I know that book talk is very into her and very, yeah. so yeah, I need to start, I need to like get up on the water cooler conversations with her books. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not, I like, I haven't, I haven't per, like read any of the books. I just, I'm just kind of like joking because. No, I, like, I know, but I mean, she's like, <laughs> I mean, she's literally like gold. It's crazy. It's oh my crazy. God. It's crazy. She's insanely prolific and people have such strong connection to her work. I mean, there's, there's yeah. something really powerful going on there because it's, it's huge. I mean, I think she has had like 90% of the spots on the New York Times bestselling list. Like it's 
<laughs> we should make a new so category. Nuts. It's like it's like <laughs> so Taylor's Taylor Swift of how um, amazing though. Books. Yeah, um, yeah. We're yeah. we're starting to get we're starting to run out of time, which is so crazy. I feel like I could talk to you all day, but um, yeah, likewise. I I, I do want to end with just saying, like, you know, I feel like you have in LVOE, you have a handful of poems, if not more than a handful, kind of about the idea of staying present and how hard it is to sort of not default to like the anxiety of the past or the future. And mm. um, you know, how do you feel like you keep yourself in those present moments or do you, I mean, are, are you, those poems just coming from a place of your own um, yeah. struggle? I think it's uh, I think it's a, a constant, I don't know about you, but I just like the feeling I get is that we're, we all are in this constant struggle to like stay in the present. And, you know, I, I often like, I've written a few uh, poems about kind of like us being time travelers from the future to the past and never like in the now. And, but you know, it's something that I'm always constantly working on. And I feel like just in this last year, even I've gotten, um, I've gotten much better and, and closer to the now. And for me, I mean, it's just like, sounds, you know, it sounds commonplace to say, but like breath work and, and meditation and finding like bite-sized stuff that I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, just like Wim Hof breathing, you know, I, I, yeah. there's a free one on YouTube and I do it almost every day. And it, like I did it right before this podcast. And there's something about like, after that breath work, it's like being in a meditation and then, yeah. And, and then just like, and, and this is a really hard thing too, but I, I'm kind of in the habit now of just like saying gratitudes all the time, just being like, very thankful for the moment and realizing, wow, this is, this is amazing. Just like to be as simple as just being in, in my pool or like with my puppy, I got this puppy popcorn and she's the best. And, you know, it's just being like stopping for a second being, wow, this is an amazing moment. I'm so thankful that I have this yeah. dog and, and a backyard and like, yeah. you know, what a beautiful day. And it's not, believe me, it's not easy. And, and I fall out of it. But um, more and more, I'm just like realizing, oh, yeah, this is it. This is life. This is what it's all about. It's, you know, it's the now it's the, you know, stop, stop worrying about it. The That's past amazing. and future. Yeah, well, I'm going to shake you out of the now for a second. And say, <laughs> do you have, you know, when you look down the road with your work, do you feel like you want to stay sort of in the zone that you're in, in, ter in terms of that sort of like, like you were kind of saying, like bite-sized, like palatable content that people are, that they're grabbing on social media and then also really enjoying in a longer form in a book? Or do you have, you know, are there aspirations of a novel or longer form? And, yeah. you know, I just am curious of like what you see as your kind of goals in terms of what you feel like is living inside of you that you're wanting to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. I'm, um, so I, I'm like halfway through a novel. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And it's taking way longer than I expected. And like, you, you, I'm sure you're. I mean, uh, my God, a novel just sounds so intimidating to me. It's, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I hope someday I find a novel in myself, but I have such reverence for novelists as, as well. Oh, yeah. 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 But I mean, I'm, I'm sure you find it in your screenplays and, and like, all, you know, scripts and everything is it's daunting. But um, yeah, so I, I would like to finish this story and, you know, one day, like turn it into into a some sort of kind of television or, or film, um, mostly likely film. That's kind of my background. But um, and then I have this whole concept for kids books that I really want to. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, I think they're fun. They're silly. I think 
they'd be a lot of fun and and I'm really excited to do that in the next and, year and or so. Would these things all fall under the Atticus umbrella or would we just never know it was you? Because it's gonna be <laughs> another anonymous <laughs> no. I think I'll I think I'll just like for out of pure ease, I think I'll put them all under under Atticus and they're kind of all in the same like the same same world. But yeah, they'll all be Atticus. But I, I wanna have I'm kind of at a point where I'm like going after projects that I really uh, inspire me and uh, you know, the kids stories, like fun stuff. I have a nephew and, you know, hopefully we'll have kids soon. And I just feel like I can get into how they think a little bit. Um, Maybe it speaks to my maturity. I don't, you know, no, but it's also, I mean, it makes sense (laughs) to me just with the heartbeat that's in your other work. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, Mm. you know, you're, you know, you're really connecting people through the way that you express yourself. And so that's ultimately, I think what anyone's looking for when they're reading to a child is like, they want to sort of open their eyes to like how they can see the world and how they can connect with other people and how they can walk through the world in a way that feels exciting and healthy. And, you know, so it's, that totally makes sense to me based on, you know, just imagining what your children's version of things would be, you know, based on knowing you're for adults. Uh, Oh, well, thank you. I'll, uh, I'll send you some copies. Um, Yes, please. I I have nieces and nephews all over the place. Uh, Yeah, perfect. Um, (laughs) Actually, do you drink wine or drink coffee? I, uh, I both. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll, um, I'll get your, get your address and I'll send you some, some wine and, oh, and coffee and let me know you. what you think. Yeah. I love it. It goes, it, it all goes perfectly with reading poetry. I, you're all on brand over there, Atticus. It's all on brand. It's, it's no, it's no mistake. It's, uh, no, obviously. I'm like, I'm like, what do I, what do I like to do? I like drinking coffee. I like drinking wine. So I might as well make companies around them. That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. It's it's so cool to just hear about your process and, you know, your experiences that have brought all of this to life. So I really appreciate it. And I will be, I will be scrolling and I'll be page turning um, (laughs) as the future book arrives. When, when will the new book be out or is it just too early to know? No, it'll be fall 2024. So yeah, in um, a little over a year. But we, right. have, um, we have some cool things coming out before then. Um, we're just trying to give the, everything space to breathe, but we have something really coming coming out in the next few months, actually. Ooh, do you want to tease that. it or you want to just tease that, there, that it's coming? Um, I'll tease it. It's because uh, I'll be announcing it in a few days. It's uh, this journal called the Spark Journal. And it's uh, basically this one sentence journal where you write a spark of a positive memory and the whole idea is that you fill up one of these books and you can go back to it anytime when you're kind of feeling feeling sad or and one sentence will spark this whole memory for you and so you can go through it go through it and read all your sparks it's called what spark a great idea how cool yeah. i love that yeah thank you that's awesome Very well, about I, will, I will be ordering one as soon as it's <laughs> i'll send you one all right i'll, <laughs> I'll send you a it. package <laughs> well thank well, you so much again and yeah thank you jennifer hopefully we get to talk again the next time you put out a book yeah i'd love that i'd love to right. well all right. thank you for everything and have a great yeah. day take care Thank you for listening to The Bookshelf with Jennifer Morrison. Bookshelf is produced by Gerardo Solasco and Amanda D'Souza. Intro and outro by Aaron Guidry.